0: Hey, Rachel here. So before we start this week's show, I wanted to share a little news, a little personal news. Um, At the same time as I was working with Runner's World to launch Human Race, truly the most rewarding project I've ever worked on. I was also preparing to launch another big, life-changing, amazing thing, and in the beginning of October it arrived. I just had a baby, and he's a little young to be a human race listener, but you better believe that I'm laying the groundwork. What this means for you is that I won't be hosting the next few episodes, but you are in for a treat. We have two great guest producers who will be bringing you new and surprising human race episodes until I'm back. You'll be hearing from Tennessee Watson and David Weinberg. They'll be taking the reins for a while, starting next episode. So I'm really excited about these two. Tennessee recently produced a great episode for the podcast Reveal, and David taught me how to make radio. I can't wait for you to hear what they have in store. And I will be back as the host of Human Race in no time. And now for this week's episode. It is election day, folks, and I don't know about you, but I am so worn out. I'm so worn out. I desperately need a palate cleanser after the last few months. Okay, just the last year. So on today's episode, we meet someone who will make your day a little lighter and a little brighter. His name is Don Bravo. Don Bravo. We're going to start Don's story in 2009. Don is approaching the finish line of his first ever 5K. And you know the moment. The crowd is cheering. That rush you get from the last steps of a hard effort. So Don, he's nearly at this moment of triumph when a wave of uncertainty floods over him.
1: I I wasn't sure how to handle it. I just like nodded or, you know, gave a wave and I didn't know what to do.
0: There weren't any other runners around for him to take cues from, so Don gives a tentative wave and crosses the finish, triumphant. But that uncertainty, it plagues him. Was that the right finishing move? He, he wasn't sure. Now, Don lives in Boston, which gives him easy access to an expert. So Don makes a pilgrimage to the Bill Rogers Running Center. He went there to consult the four-time Boston Marathon champion for advice. Why not go straight to the top, right?
1: Um, When I spoke with Bill Rogers, the the great marathoner, he's like, don't wave to the crowd. (laughs) Just finish the race.
0: This was the start of Don's transformation. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. On each episode of Human Race, we tell a story about runners and the world of running. On this week's episode, how one small act can change your whole life. This is a story about someone who challenged what other people thought he could become. And even bigger than that, he challenged what he himself thought he could become. We met Don Bravo at the Boston Marathon Expo last April. And Don shared a running story then that made me feel like jumping up and cheering. It was, it was as if in his telling of it, I was in the crowd watching his evolution as a runner. From someone who'd never considered running to someone who starts his day logging miles before the sun rises. From someone who waves in the final steps of a race to someone who powers through to the finish and then engages the crowd. His approach? could benefit us all. And, you know, lighten the mood today. Don is an opera star, professionally. He trained at Juilliard, went on to sing at Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center, and opera houses all over the country. He started teaching at the Boston Conservatory in the 80s and has privately trained a whole slew of high school students that have gone on to sing at big venues. His professional Facebook page is full of quotes like, Keep calm and listen to Bach. And the only musician you should ever worry about being better than is the one you were yesterday. For most of his adult life, Don was totally immersed in his music. Exercise was not a priority. But that doesn't mean he wasn't aware of his weight.
1: I was a good WrestleMania buffet away from 400.
0: Meaning one big meal could get him there. People made jokes. He was passed over for singing roles because of his size, and he bought clothes only out of catalogs. When something went wrong in his life, any little accident or mistake, he attributed it to his weight. But still, he considered his weight a constant. However, a visit to the doctor changed that constant into an imminent threat. Don's weight, his doctor said, was shortening his lifespan taking off years that he could be singing or teaching or spending time with his wife. The doctor gave him instructions for a longer life. First, he'd have to change his diet. So Don got a dietitian, specifically a sports nutrition expert. He started eating more greens, and he replaced soda with three quarts of water a day. When Don met with his doctor again, the doctor was really pleased. And he handed Don the instructions to his next challenge. The doctor told Don,
1: You know, now that we've got the diet portion, we've got to do cardio. But I want a bench. I want a lift. Cardio. But I want to do this, that, and this. Cardio. What do we do for cardio? We start by walking. Um, Or we start doing steps.
0: No problem. There were steps around Don's neighborhood, so he climbed them. He checked the box... Don is an all-in kind of guy. So one day, a month after he started exercising, Don decided he wanted to tackle a more substantial challenge. Something a little more ambitious than what someone could wrongly perceive as neighborhood ambling. He goes to Harvard Stadium. So he got into the stadium, stood at the bottom of a serious climb, and decided he could take it. Now, this is a story about achievement, about having the stubborn determination to do something that you yourself may never have dreamed you could do. Don wanted to climb those grand steps. So that first day, yeah, he absolutely did not make it. He didn't even get close to the top. But in Don's journey, the first few Harvard Stadium steps were just the beginning. The achievement, it comes in repetition, in not letting failures burrow into your brain. So what if Don couldn't get to the top? Morning after morning, he just kept showing up. And here's the magic in keeping self-doubt at bay. In the simple repetition of the Harvard Stadium steps, five steps became 10 steps. Six weeks into this ritual, Don stood at the top of all 30 massive steps, looking down at the place he'd started.
1: You know, the first time I climbed all the steps to get to the very top of Harvard Stadium, I mean, there were tears in my eyes. I never thought I could do that. Um, that was an achievement for me. And there's a, a yes, I can moment to that. All right, so now that you've accomplished this, let's see if you can go further.
0: Six months in, Don took on a different challenge. He added running to his routine. Now, steps steps are a thing you can do accidentally. They're around your neighborhood, at entrances to buildings. But running is something that you may not have done since high school gym class, and maybe not even then. To non-runners, running can look like something alien. Like, there are people, people not like you, that possess this ability, this drive to do something, I don't know, from the outside it looks uncomfortable. And you just think that you're not one of those people. So when Don Bravo took his first few running steps, it was like he'd given himself entry to this whole new alien experience. But once he was there, he realized it wasn't alien at all. The door was wide open to him and wide open to everyone. How this strange new world changes, Don, that's after the break. And we're back. Don has just started running. And once he started running, he wasn't going to give it up for anything.
1: Trust me, at quarter or five in the morning in the middle of February, getting your butt out of a warm bed to go out in sub-zero temperatures to run is not fun. I do my running alone because I know how slow I am and it would just frustrate everybody else. I take great joy in looking at the sunrise and saying to the sun, I beat you. I was up before you were. I've beat you.
0: And that competition with the sun, it was addictive. His body would wake him up early even on days he thought it was too cold to run. For a guy always pulling up the rear, he loved being the very first out on the street. Even though he thoroughly enjoyed running alone, he dipped his toe into the race circuit, slowly. First, he completed a few small charity two-milers.
1: You know, just to say, okay, let's time ourselves with a two-miler and knowing that, you know, and we know we can hit three. Um, The changes that You know, I wanted to accomplish those things before I said, yes, let's do this in a world-class competitive situation.
0: In those first few two-milers, he'd run a little and then walk a little, run a little and then walk a little. At one of those two-mile runs, he noticed something behind
1: him. There were two men who were having a conversation walking in back of me who was trying to run. And at one point I said, if you guys want to go ahead, you're faster than I am. They said, no, we can't. And why can't you? They said, because we bring up the, the the rear. You know, I said, oh, so I'm the, I'm the last person. Yeah, kind of. Well, <laughs> didn't make me feel any better, but I still finished.
0: In conversation, Don says over and over, he sticks with it. Don finally decided to take on the Harvard Stadium equivalent of 5K runs. He set his sights on a race that takes place the day before the Boston Marathon. But while he was registering, he found himself in another moment of newbie uncertainty.
1: And I applied for handicap because of my size. I was about 350 at the time, um, 375, 350. She asked my handicap, you know, in a wheelchair, and I said, no, I'm just obese. And she said, well, can you still finish in one, under an hour? I told her I gave her my word.
0: Never mind that at that point Don ran a 19-minute mile pace. Never mind that he had never finished a 5K in an hour. The adrenaline of his first big race and it being in Boston, a 5K, the day before what's arguably the world's most prestigious marathon. And Don, Don Bravo, one year ago, the non-runner. One year ago, a WrestleMania buffet away from 400 pounds. He squeezes across the starting line, and this is his first big starting line, one man in a throng of people. But then, ahead of him, the crowd thins out. It's just the first mile, but Don starts to worry. Police ushered him to the sidewalk to allow for cars. Now, this had happened to him before in other races— Police move or sweep the last few runners to the sidewalks to ease the blocked traffic. But this was not a good sign when he's racing the cutoff clock.
1: I had questions in my mind about doing it under the hour and also not getting swept.
0: So he picks up the pace. His feet are screaming, his lungs are protesting. He moves from the sidewalk back to the road. And all of a sudden he's ahead of the sweepers ahead of the people who could crush his race dreams but just barely now all he needs to do is stay there finally he reaches the last two turns of the race at this point he still has blocks to go don says except for his wife and some friends he he really didn't expect to see many people still at the finish line.
1: And I knew that they wouldn't sweep me, and I was ahead of my one-hour time limit. Um, And then as I headed down Boylston, which is the main drag that you see when you watch the Boston Marathon on TV, um, people were yelling and cheering, and I'm thinking, what's going on? And they're doing it for me. They see this overweight, You know, guy chugging along, trying to make it. And they just gave me this wave of positive energy and emotion. It was like running on a cloud.
0: He sees the photographer's bridge above the finish line. He has that momentary panic of what to do. Remember, he's not one of 25 people crossing the finish line. He is just the one, the last one, but also the only one rousing the crowd.
1: Uh, People were cheering, and it was such a feeling of victory for me Um, And my two best friends jumped the barrier, which you would not do now, and were hugging me and all excited because this was an accomplishment and it was something that I had achieved. And I set out to achieve it like literally a year before. One buddy, we've known each other 40 years um, since high school, and he literally, I'm getting a little caught up. I mean, he was, had tears in his eyes because he was so happy for me. Well, anytime your wife says, I'm proud of you, that's, um, I mean, that's glorious.
0: Don, by the way, only refers to his wife as his beautiful wife or dear wife. They met in the third grade, and he says he's been trying to impress her ever since. He promised the race official he would finish the 5K in under an hour, and he did
1: like 58 minutes and 45 seconds. Yes, I was huffing and puffing and sweating and my feet hurt, but I could call myself a runner.
0: And Don got his first race medal.
1: Now, I know that some people dismiss the fact of all participants getting a medal. A medal doesn't mean anything. Um. Well, to me it does, and it did. And I still have that medal, and I'm still very proud of it, even though I have others. That first one meant a great deal.
0: It was a symbol of something that would have been wholly impossible just the year before. A symbol of where all the stairs, the 5 a.m. wake-ups, the running, was able to get him. A Boston finish. Don wore it proudly the day after the 5K.
1: And I had somebody once derisively, and it really hurt, said, Did you buy that? No, I earned it. Um, that really, that still smarts.
0: Even so, he knows what he is capable of. And no one is going to stop him from his daily run. Since that first 5K, Don has run several more.
1: Um, before there was doubt. And, uh, with finishing these multiple races, um, that doubt has been lifted. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's really very empowering.
0: And that same way that climbing stairs open the door to running, running has opened other doors for Don, like fulfilling a lifelong, once absolutely impossible dream. That's after the break. And we're back. This impossible dream, well, it's one that Don's been holding on to since he was a teenager. And truth be told, he's probably not the only one.
1: Now, when I was, uh... 16, I saw Rocky, and there's Rocky going up the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum. Um, So, I'm there with my wife this past year, and I said, honey, something I've always wanted to do. I need to do this. It's on my bucket list.
0: So Don and his wife go to the art museum, and he starts the stairs.
1: And when I got to the top, I started tearing up, because I had accomplished something I've wanted to do for decades. Um, And you got to work up to a certain level to make it up those steps. That's not an easy run, up those steps. Now, any goal that's in front of me, I don't give up on.
0: That drive, it's gained him race medals and confidence, a new title as a runner. And in the process, he lost some of what initially had held him back. In 2008, when he had visited that doctor, he weighed just under 400 pounds. And that measurement, it's fuzzy, by the way, because the doctor didn't have a scale that would go up that high. Eight years and lots of running steps later.
1: Now I'm right on the cusp of of, of 240.
0: 240. Through sheer determination, he lost over a third, a third of his body weight. And it's not like those pounds just melt off once you get up and move. When you work off that much weight, your body, in a way, fights to retain that fat. During intense weight loss, the hormone leptin decreases. Now, that can be a problem because leptin is the hormone that tells your brain eat less and get your body to get moving. When leptin dips with weight loss, it means your metabolism can slow and your appetite can increase. Basically, your brain's worried you're not getting enough food and says, hey, eat up. But for Don, the benefits are far greater than the challenges. Being 160 pounds lighter means that when he's singing, he's breathing easier and being able to hold notes longer between breaths. He's a confident runner now and trains with people larger than him also running to lose weight. And he's still learning. In one race, Don stood right next to Bill Rogers at the start.
1: And he was really simple with it. He goes, can you beat me in this race? I said, are you, come on, you're Bill Rogers. You're you're a Hall of Fame legend. He goes, then don't line up with me. He goes, I'm trying to win. Go back there where they're having a party. You know, it, those are the people who are enjoying themselves. He goes, I'm focused on time. That's it.
0: And even if he is last, he finally nailed his finish line strut.
1: One of the little things I did learn is to take my hat and my sunglasses off, um, so that the photographers can get a good picture when you cross when you cross the finish line.
0: We hope that this little story was a bright spot in an intense time. And if you're new to us and looking for even more distraction, check out episode seven. It's about the people who take on this completely nutty challenge that almost everyone fails. Or check out episode 9, which is about a woman who confronts her family's history of Alzheimer's by spending time with a runner battling the disease. The story this week was produced by Casey Martin and me, Rachel Swaby. It was edited by Audrey Quinn and David Weinberg. The theme music is by Danny Koch. David Willey is the Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World and the Editor-in-Chief of this podcast. Human Race is a proud part of the Panoply Network.